Praise God. Good to be here. And I know I, I kind of went back in history today and talked about a blood covenant and a covenant of blood and how as you go through this and you look at the ways that over throughout the word of the Lord, the Lord used animals as part of that blood covenant. And yet there were people that made covenants, made blood covenants. And I mentioned this morning that um, actually when two people get married, it is supposed to be a covenant before God. As a matter of fact, uh, it is considered in Jesus or the word of the Lord in Malachi, the second chapter uh, said, the wife of thy covenant. Uh, that's uh, slide uh, 20, I think, Sister Tracy. And uh, says, the, the wife of thy covenant. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote, that about this woman who went down and she forgot the covenant of her God. And so when you make some of these covenants, um, you know, when, you know, the children will um, say something and they will say, pinky promise. Anybody ever heard of that? And what does that mean? You stick your little finger up and you make a promise. And young people, of course, this hour, we have people that will make covenants without or promises, and they have no intention of keeping them. They have no thought of keeping them. But that's not how the Lord looked, even at a wedding covenant. And if you look at some of the symbolism of a wedding, and those of you who've been married or ever gone to a wedding, you understand that, uh, you know, typically uh, the symbol of the ring, it's uh, like the belt, it's like this everlasting circle, it's like this, uh, it's forever. And this nerve supposedly goes all the way to your heart and um, there is that symbolism of taking off a coat or taking off a belt. Basically, I am giving you my word, my covenant, my, I'm giving you uh, that here I am. I am, am giving you my protection. And I, uh, in a Jewish wedding, they drink out of a glass and then they bust the glass and uh, uh, some of our weddings it's you know you intertwine arms and then you take cake and mess up the other person's face and all those wonderful uh, things that they do at weddings you're feeding one another and all of that has symbolism in in solidifying a covenant of, you know, we don't cut our hands and put blood together and mingle it at a wedding, but they'll do things like pour glass beads and light candles and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, in fact, uh, Lois and uh, uh, 
Brother Stewart are here, and I uh, uh, was the first time I've done a, a jump in the broom part of a ceremony. That was a new one. Had to look it up, and it it goes back to sweeping out the old and bringing in the new and starting afresh and getting rid of the past and all those things. And I I know you may. Uh, then you exchange names and you sign a paper and there's, uh, you know, Sister Shannon is here and she has to take that to the courthouse and uh, they have to send it back and I've got to sign it and it's a legal document. And then typically you go somewhere and you have a feast and everybody eats and drinks and, and uh, there's wonderful uh, fellowship and we're going to I guess have a covenant over a hot dog here in a moment. I, I don't know, but uh, not that serious, but that's that fellowship. And then one of the last things that you do is you usually then plant some memorial for those who have um, maybe, um, you know, they've poured glass. Well, they'll take that to a manufacturer who will make a, a vase or something out of it. Or those who have lit a, uh, a big candle, they may uh, light that candle every year on their anniversary. For some who have a wedding cake, they save that top part and a year later that's going to be the part they're going to get out of the freezer and eat dry, frozen, horrible wedding cake one year later because we made a covenant and uh, all kinds of wonderful, if you will, parts to making a covenant and yet how much stronger a blood covenant is with God. We take all of those things, sometimes we take them lightly because I've heard people say, you know, I promise to love and cherish and honor and before the end of the week, they're, Pastor, what did I get myself into? And I get it, you know, the shock and awe and the surprise. But imagine a blood covenant. Now, I guess the great, a great story that probably I don't preach enough about is about Jonathan and David. And it's found in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, and you can read the whole chapter because Jonathan and David, Jonathan was anywhere from 10 to 15 years older than David. He was a lad, 12 or so, and Jonathan was already in the military and he was already a, a warrior. And so he had to be in close to his 20s, if not in his 20s. And, and uh, so here's this older young man who uh, his dad is the king, who should be the next king. And some point Jonathan saw an anointing on David and he saw how his dad was treating David because he was hearing these songs about, you know, David, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And, and so Saul became angry. He became, he had rejected God. He actually became, if you will, uh, possessed or, or uh, the enemy would come in and he would get angry. He would ask David to play. He would throw a javelin at him. He was angry. You know the story. You know what all Saul did and all of this. And Jonathan 
comes up with this idea, let's go make a covenant. And so they do. And they go out. It's in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. You can read it. Jonathan and David made a covenant. It wasn't necessarily a blood covenant, but it had many of the attributes of a blood covenant. And I, I want to draw your attention to this because this is how serious it is. And the Bible says he loved him as his own soul. And I know some people try to make that something that it's not. But Jonathan takes off his coat and his robe. Why? Because his robe symbolized, I'm the next heir apparent. I'm the prince. And I'm going to give my robe to you, David, because I see the anointing on you. All right? And then he took his sword. What would his sword represent? Power. His bow, his weapons, long range. Even what he wrapped around him to fight. He took all of those off and he handed them to David. And he said, we're in covenant together. But he said, I can't go with you. In fact, the whole point was, Jonathan said, I'll go back to dad. If he's calmed down, I'll shoot an arrow where you can know to come in and we'll let you go and you know, you'll, you'll be able to find good graces. Guess what? Never again did Jonathan and David get to be together. At that point, Saul <coughs> continued to chase David. There was a continued fight. You read the rest of 1 Samuel 19, 20, 21 goes on and they go their separate ways. David ends up pretending to be crazy. David has all kinds of things. And in 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, what happens is 40 years of Saul's reign has ended. Um, is Ella up here? How old are you, Ella? Six. Okay, come up here. Now, this is a six-year-old. She's much older in the story than... I want you to stand up here with me. But she was living in the palace, and if she were in this story... And she was, had servants and had nurses and just kind of like at home. Her mom and dad just wait on her hand and foot. Is that right? Your big brother? Oh, maybe not. I'm glad you're telling the truth here. But in the story, Jonathan had a little boy, not a little girl, and he was little boy that was five years old. So imagine just about this big. And all of a sudden, the word came back to the palace. They have chariots. They have all this. The word comes that guess what? Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle at Jezreel. Now, a new king is coming on the scene. 
Panic hit the palace. Panic. One of her nurses grabbed her up. Started running. And do you know what happened? In the midst of running, that nurse tripped, (laughs) dropped her. She trusts me. (laughs) And you know what was sad? She, it crushed her back, her legs right here. She was paralyzed from the waist down. Couldn't walk anymore. And that nurse grabbed her and ran, fearing for her life. And you know where they went? To the wilderness. Out into the desert. To a place called Lodenbar, which was place that was desolate, a place that had not the beautiful guards, not all of the wonderful things you have at home, (laughs) but living out in a tent. And now that sounds fun for a weekend, but imagine week after week, you have to go out and get water. Would that be fun? Mm-mm. No? <laughs> Ella knows. That, that lose its fun. Huh? And she can't walk. She can't get around. She has to pull herself, drag herself around. How's Ella going to feel about the time David at the time her grandpa was killed about what happened to her dad and grandpa. Huh? How's Ella going to feel about, okay, thank you, Sister Ella. You were a great (laughs) prop. Prop named Mephibosheth. Now, do I have anybody here in their 20s. 20, how old are you? 20 what? Four. Probably about 23 or 24. Stand up, Kelsey. Of course, Mephibosheth couldn't stand. But about this age, about 17 or 18 years later, David now, thank you, has come on the scene He's been named king, and everybody knows. David starts asking, are there any kids, any descendants of Saul? Any kids of of Jonathan? He starts asking the question. And you know how everybody responds to that? Ooh, no. Because we know what he wants to do to them in their mind. I can tell you what humanly needs to happen. That guy, Saul, was mad at him, chased him, called him everything. Now it's time for revenge. In fact, they had already, the people had gathered together and taken some of the sons and 
hung them, killed them, hung them up on pikes. And so everybody is just going, oh no, 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 don't, 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 don't say anything to David. Don't, don't tell him where they are. And a year goes by, two years go by, five years go by, 10 years go by. Mephibosheth now is 23, 24 years old. And finally, somebody says, I think there's one that lives in Lodenbar. If you go there, you can get him. I don't know. I doubt whether David went himself because he's the king. He sent a servant. He said, go to Lodenbar. Bring that guy. So imagine coming up into this tent city, four or five chariots, several soldiers. They start going through the tents. Where is he? Where is he? Where is this descendant of Jonathan? Where is he now? Remember the story? Some of you do. Somebody finally says, well, he's down in that last tent down there. They go in and here's this guy, can't walk. Soldiers walk in and say, you're going to the palace with me. What's up? I don't know. Grab him, load him into the back of a chariot and head off. What's going to happen to him now? David's going to watch, laugh as they kill him. Huh? Now we're going to make sport of him. Now it's going to be serious. Right? Sister Addison? Huh? Now it's going to be, it's going to be serious time. You can read it. 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. That's your homework. Read the story of what happens to him. They bring this boy in. And you know what David says? Don't be afraid. I, I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Why? Because about 25 years ago, your dad came and made a covenant with me. And because of the strength of that covenant, when he took off his robe and he laid it down and gave it to me, and he gave me his sword, and he gave me his bow. Because of that covenant, I am going to extend every kindness to you, the son of Jonathan. That's how powerful the covenant was. Mephibosheth falls on his face and says, I am unworthy. I 
You don't know how, how bad I've thought. You don't know how many times I've cursed your name. You don't know how many times I've resented you. You don't know how many times I've resented where I am. But oh, now that I am here and you're telling me about a covenant that I didn't even know my dad had made. And you're going to let me sit at the king's table. Okay, Kelsey, come up here. Why is that important? Kelsey's walked up here. But you know what? Mephibosheth couldn't walk. But they were going to let him sit at the king's table. Sit back in that chair, Kelsey. Because the power of the covenant is you're going to put your legs under the table. No one will ever know you were paralyzed. You're going to be able to sit right there and give orders and tell them to go out and farm these 20 acres and go do this and go. And you're going to be able to have, you're going to be able to order anything you want to drink because you're seated at the king's table. I'm going to cover all of your past. I'm going to cover all your handicap. That's how powerful a blood covenant is that the Lord is able to take us and wash us and cleanse us and cover everything. You say, well, pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I thought. You don't know what I, oh, but one day there was a king, the king of all glory. That's that one that said, let there be light. The one that said, I can take the world and spin it. And he said, I'm going to take off my royal robe. Hallelujah. I'm going to lay my royal robe Hallelujah. down and I'm going to make a blood covenant with you so that you can get the Holy Ghost. That same spirit that gets me up and you're able to get you up, I, that you can be buried in my name. And then you can sit at the king's table. Yes. Ephesians talks about you who were dead in trespasses and sins hath he raised to sit with him in heavenly places. Oh, you say, but I don't know. You don't know what all I've done. You don't know where I've been in the desert for 25 years. I've been, I was, people told me, don't ever let anybody know who you are. Don't do this. Don't do that. We were afraid to go to the store. We were afraid anybody would find out. We were afraid that anybody would let us, let you know. Oh, we were so afraid. But what they didn't, what Mephibosheth did not understand was in fact, a covenant had been made. That's how powerful a covenant is. The Lord planted a tree, cross, put his blood on it, said, I'm here to tell you that if you can understand how powerful it is to have the Holy Ghost, to be buried in his name, this is not... Oh, I know, it's, I know you can sit here in church, you can talk, tell jokes, laugh, it's 
one thing or another, but I'm here to tell you it's more powerful than that. This is an everlasting covenant with a God that is, goes not for one generation, but for two, for three, for four. You want to know why? That some of our children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren are still alive? It's because one day you said, I 